stories don't define you, how you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker at Elkins Consulting. In my work with coaching clients, I guide people to improve their communication using storytelling as the foundation of our work together. What I've realized over years of coaching and podcasting is that the majority of people don't realize the impact of the stories they share on their internal messages and on the people they're sharing them with. What really lights me up is guiding executives and uncovering the stories in their lives that are meaningful. The stories that, when shared with the right audience in the right way, connect, inspire, and motivate. Here's what a former client had to say about our work together. As a leader of leaders, I struggle with how and when to use my stories to emphasize the points my audience is looking for. It's a delicate balance between sounding like I'm bragging and delivering a message that needs to be heard. Sarah's approach to storytelling clears that obstacle so that you can deliver a clear and concise message using your stories to emphasize your points. It's truly amazing when it all comes together. Greg McDonough, Blackburn Capital Advisors and President of the Entrepreneurs' Organization of Washington, D.C. Visit elkinsconsulting.com to learn more about working with me. Today's episode of Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will, features my new friend, Nicole Santer. And we're talking from, um, well, she is calling in from outside of Sydney, Australia. And of course, I'm here in Montana. And it's just yet another richness that we get to develop thanks to our online relationships. Um, Nicole and I were introduced by Mike Fritzius. Everybody calls him Fritz. And some of us refer to him as the Fritziest. Um, and he is just this amazing connector of people. He just seems to sense where people have similar energy and where collaboration needs to occur. So I was grateful for the opportunity to meet Nicole. And uh, I'm excited to talk to her about her events business that she launched at the beginning of a pandemic and to hear more about her. So uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me on your show. You brings me right to my host family uh, because I lived in Brisbane, Australia for a semester and had an amazing host family that I'm still very close with. So hearing your voice just brings me that kind of warmth because of the, the sentimental um, aspect of it. So I'm excited. Do I, do I sound really typical Aussie? Do I? <laughs> do I have that Aussie accent? No, not necessarily. Not, not. Oh, okay. Well, you do to a certain extent. But I have to say, when I lived there and my host family is very well educated, the mom was, is a, a teacher. She was a teacher. She retired. And father was a doctor before he retired and two out of three of the sons became doctors and wow. and so they're yes and and so they had I guess their accent between people who went to school for many years and people who didn't go to school after high school or whatever and I think the further I got into backcountry and the outback the less I understood people because their their accents would get very, very strong. But I think you get that in lots of places around the world. Don't you think so? Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. I've actually traveled right through America, um, you know, starting sort of in New York and kind of moving my way because I was actually coming back home from traveling myself. So I kind of had this amazing, through Delta Airlines, I had all these amazing unlimited flights in America so I'd literally get on a plane and just kind of go wherever I wanted for about two months. And it was just like, where do I feel like going today? It was just fabulous. Um, wow. So I got to see quite a lot of America myself. And, um, yeah, when you go down south, there's a very different accent to, you know, kind of New York and, and uh, L.A. and everything in between. The accents change as you go through um, different parts of America as well. So we we have the same with Australia. Um, I'm I'm from um, I'm born and bred in sort of the eastern suburbs of Sydney, which is uh, kind of Bondi. If people will know that as a landmark. Um, Sydney is a is a beautiful city with uh, the most amazing harbour, and uh, it's all kind of surrounded by water. So it's very very pictorial and we have like the Sydney Harbour Bridge and the Opera House which are kind of landmark and what we're kind of known for 
in Sydney. And, um, you know, it's it's very different to anywhere in the world. I can't even kind of compare it to anywhere in the world, Europe or anywhere. So it's, it's a very, very pretty city. Um, and I think there's lots of pretty cities in the world. So, you know, we're just up there as, as a place to definitely come and see. And, um, you know, we're recording this sort of still in COVID, but, um, you know, in, in, in May 2021. And um, I think there's going to be some really good flights, prices to come to Australia post this uh, pan- pandemic. Um, but, you know, I think it's, you know, Hopefully, once we get past this COVID, we'll see a lot more travel happening again around the world. I certainly so, hope yeah, so. Yeah, it's very, very pretty. Yes, I remember yeah. it as being very pretty. I was only there for a few days. Um, but I, I do remember it standing out because of the harbour and the opera house, because I've landed in, you know from an airport into many, many cities across the, the world and in some parts of most cities, it all looks the same. You can stand in the middle of San Francisco and you may as well be in the middle of New York City or Paris or, you know, some, there are just aspects of city life that are very similar. But you're right that there are the, the iconic figures of, of Sydney that make it yeah. different in that way. Yeah, yeah like Times Square, yeah. New York. You'll never find anywhere that looks like Times Square. No, no, definitely not. And it's really interesting because, you know, you watch um, like, you know, shows like Million Dollar Listing and things like that and they talk about, you know, they've got this beautiful home and they've got these kind of views and I'm looking at the views and it's just views of houses or views of nothing really and I'm going, oh, my God, that's not a view. <laughs> what we have in Sydney is a view because, you know, there's right. a lot of homes that look towards the the Sydney Harbour Bridge and that is the view and um, quite interesting you know when you see what other countries and things think that oh this is a nice view over Central Park and I'm thinking really okay (laughs) well (laughs) it's not a view this is a view (laughs) well I live in Montana so I'm spoiled too (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly. So it's really quite funny when you see them and they go, oh, this is a really cool view. But anyway, look, I hope all of your listeners do uh, put it on their bucket list to come to uh, Australia and certainly Sydney and, you know, experience it because I think it's something that everyone needs to do in their lifetime for sure. I totally agree. I totally agree. I, I only got as far west as um, uh, Canberra. And I didn't go as far south as Melbourne as I wanted to. Uh, it, it was. It is definitely worth going to see. And if you ever want to see uh, the Great Barrier Reef, you're going to have to go soon because it's in distress as much as the glaciers are disappearing from here. The Glacier National Park is losing its glaciers. So I think yeah, it's true. Lots of see soon because they haven't been protected. Yeah. So let's yeah. on to a happier subject. <laughs> yes. Speaking of travel, because I think that this is a great segue when we talk about travel and and all of the experiences we've had, you and I, in traveling, um, I would love for you to just share a a brief description with our listeners about what you do, because it it will now make sense to them about your travel. Yes. So um, I, like my family were in catering and events before I was born. And as a small child, I'd be kind of lumbered in the kitchen and, you know, in my bassinet, and I never really thought twice about it. Um, and then, you know, many, many years later, I actually started my career, you know, kind of in um, foreign exchange, um, completely different office environment. And, you know, I always knew that I wanted to go into business for myself, but I just didn't know what that was going to be. And then um, after I'd had my first son, I thought, of, I thought, oh, you know, this could be, and I was talking to somebody, this could be interesting. I don't know what to do. Maybe I'm, I'm a, I was still working um, at that time and I thought I really wanted to sort of start my own business and I just didn't know what that was going to be. And then one day over um, at lunch or a dinner, I was having a conversation with a cousin of mine who was telling me about their big corporate event that they just did for their, for their, for their um, organisation and I thought, oh, an event you did an event for it what kind of event was it and I sort of got really excited about learning about this corporate event and I thought gee that 
that sounds really like lots of fun, organising corporate events and, you know, and I kind of thought, oh, that, that sounds like really good. So I very naively kind of woke up the next day and thought, you know what, I am going to start my events company. And I just launched it and had no clients, but I thought, you know what, they'll come build it and they'll come as as you always sort of kind of think in a very young naive way um and they did because I kind of got out there and I got on the blower and I rang up organizations and said hey you know I organize events I'd love to help you with your event and then you get this kind of moment when someone goes oh just looking for you and I was just looking we've got an event to organize and we just need someone like you that can organize it I go brilliant So this was my very first event was for women in business and it was for about 400, 500 people and it was an awards night. So it wasn't just a normal kind of dinner or anything like that. It was a a big awards night and I thought to myself, oh, this is going to be so exciting. And then I kind of came home to my husband and I said to him, "Um, I've won an event to do. I've got got a new client And, and he says to me, oh, great, fantastic. And I go, but the only problem is it's a big event for, you know, 500 people and it's an awards night and I have no idea what I'm doing. And there was no <laughs> courses back then. There was no, like, go to university and do an event management course or anything like that. And I thought to myself, how hard is it, you know? So my, my husband, who's a management consultant, sat down with me and developed a, an events methodology. And the events methodology takes you through from the very initial stage when you, you know, getting a brief from a client to, you know, going to, um, you know, visit venues and what sort of questions to kind of ask them then takes you through to, you know, right through to organising the event on the day. And I've actually just now put that into a course, an online course, um, to help other people so that they get the tools that they need quickly so that they can organise an event. Um, so we, I developed this events methodology and I started using it and it was so good because it just allowed me to kind of really have a clear picture of what I needed to do when I needed to do it. And I was able to really deliver that event beyond expectations. So the client was so excited with what we delivered because I, I've sort of, you know, there's two types of, of event managers. There's the very creative uh, who's very good at the, you know, putting the tablecloths on and putting the fabrics together and coming up with, you know, what the flowers are going to kind of look like and coming up with the whole design of it. So you've got that kind of event manager and then you've got the other type of event manager who is strategic and very methodical in their approach and they usually kind of end up doing kind of more sort of conferences and, um, you know, more corporate style of events you know, where they're creative, they're doing the product launches, they're doing the most amazing designs and they're, you know, put it, pulling a great concept together. The others are more kind of the tick box and I'm, you know, doing a project plan and I'm tick boxing everything off. Um, mm. In order to be successful as an, an event manager, highly successful, you need both skills. So if you're more creative, then you need the strategicness to come in and try and be a little bit more strategic in your approach. And if you're more strategic, then you've got to kind of work out a way to be more creative because the two come together is what kind of makes a great event. And when you're creating an event, you're always creating a story. So it's not just, you know, you're taking people on a journey. And so when you develop and build an event, you have to sort of build it in building blocks in that way. Mm-hmm. Yep, that has been my experience as well. Um, and I, I I remember walking somebody through how I was planning my no longer virtual conference that first year in 2017. And I talked about how the first thing I did was look at locations. And the first thing I thought of as I'm selecting a location in terms of a city was how are people going to get there? And then I started talking about the details of w- once they get there, how are they going to get to the hotel? What what are they going to see when they get to the hotel? What's going to be in their room for them? And what are they going to see when they first come in in the morning? And, um, and I was talking about 
you know, the catering, making sure that you have something for everyone. And, um, and he said, Oh, that's just too much detail for me. <laughs> Often people do do that. For first people, most people go, okay, I need a venue. And that's the first thing they actually think of is, oh, I need a venue. Where should I go? Now, that is not the first question that you should be asking. You know, you need to find out what is what is the objective of this event and what do we want the event to do and how do we want the attendees to experience this event? Because if you choose a venue, which I've had many clients choose a venue and then engage an event person going, oh, we've booked the venue and the venue doesn't fit with what they actually want. So right. it's really important to sort of really understand what you want and how you want to develop and design this event for uh, the best impact before you go and search out the venue, you know, um, because you might say, look, you know what, I'd love to have a, you know, networking event um, and maybe I want this networking event to be um, by a poolside, but you've actually booked a venue that doesn't have any poolside and it doesn't have any outdoor area for networking. And you right. might say, look, that's a mandatory, I really need that outdoor area or I need a room where we can actually have for a networking uh, or a lounge area or a bar afterwards. So you have to kind of think about the whole concept before you go diving into the venue. The venue, you, you need to be able to tick off exactly what you need first from a venue going, I need these things. These are mandatory before I go choose my venue. So if you've articulated exactly what you're looking for and what you're what how you designed how you want this event to be from beginning to end in your head and sort of wrote down a good brief of what you need from a venue, um, and you know that's what we've got in our checklist so that you can actually determine exactly what you need from a venue before you kind of go. You might need breakout rooms. You might need. Um, specific green rooms you might need a cloakroom because the weather's bad you might need you know and you've chosen a venue that doesn't have that and you might need to build it or you might need you might have limited money sorry money and you might not want to have um you know bring in the tables and the chairs and stuff yeah. and things you might go look you know what with our limited mon money I want to find a venue that actually has all of that already in-house and I don't have to worry or I've got an in-house caterer and I don't have to worry so it's all about sort of really understanding your requirements and what you're trying to deliver before you go running off to find uh, the venue and you've booked a, I've booked a hotel and I've booked a this <laughs> and I've booked a that and then you go, oh, it doesn't, oh, that that's doesn't not work. kind of the style that I'm looking for. Right. I remember um, when I was working for a hotel and I had a bride and her mother come in because they were looking either for the reception site or for a rehearsal dinner. And I remember saying to her, what do you want your guests to think about when they leave? What do you want them to talk about? Because she hadn't really prioritized what she wanted out of her event. And I said, do you want them to talk about how great the food was? Do you want them to talk about the location how beautifully decorated it was? Do you want them to talk? Like, what are your priorities here when, when you leave? What, what do you want to remember about your special day? And I used to do that with every bride that would come in and we would jot down their top priorities and then, then they could budget around that. If it was, we want people to know how wonderfully paired the food and wine were, then that's where your priority is going to be in terms of budget. And I remember one woman, she was probably 22 getting married and I, you know, you have to set aside the whole I couldn't possibly get married at 22, but maybe this will work for her. <laughs> I mean, that's always, you know, that, that little trying not to be judgmental. I remember hearing her say, I want them to talk about how beautiful I looked. And I said, okay, there's, there's your priority. You have to make sure that that day is spent um, where your money is spent on your gown, on your hair, on your makeup. And um, so if that's your priority, this is where the money needs to be spent. So I hear you. You really need to, for me, it was all about guests. How do you want your guests? Because you know that yeah, it, it, you're not going to have any fun if your guests aren't having fun mm. it, it, in terms of a you wedding, know, but every event is like of, that. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's very important that the event flows. There's nothing worse than turning up to an event that maybe it's a wedding and 
all of a sudden the band's not playing, the food's not coming out, there's nothing happening, everyone's just standing around talking and there's just this lull and the energy completely gets zapped out of the room. Even though people do like to talk, but when when there's nothing happening, they kind of get uncomfortable because they think, oh, I should be doing something. Why isn't there nothing happening? Why is there no food? I've got to talk to the people next to me. And, you know, it's kind of like, oh, so you have to you have to build an event as a sort of a story. You have to build an event like a story. You have to build the people. So you have to sort of start slow and keep building it up to a crescendo. So that the last thing is when the bride leaves, but you've got to keep building it, building it, building it throughout the event so that there's always something happening. There's an element of surprise and people are going, oh, wow. If you want people to talk about your event, whether it be a corporate event or a private event um, or a wedding, then you have to build it so that there's things for people to talk about. So whether it's if, if food is important, for example, they go, oh, my God, you should have seen this dessert that came out at the event. It was phenomenal. They brought out this table. Then they threw all this food onto it, onto this table, and they made this most amazing Great Barrier Reef, all made out of coconut chocolate and, you know, um, coconut cream, and, uh, you know, it just looked phenomenal. I actually did that at an event um, wow. For a conference. And in fact, because I actually had um, four speakers in a panel, and then I had to take them away and then kind of get the next four speakers on. And the client said to me, You know what? I just, it gets very heavy when you've got four speakers on a, at a conference, and then, you know, you go from there to the next one. Um, it gets very kind of, you know, people get quite drained by listening and listening and more content, more content. So right. if you sort of break it up with a bit of like spontaneity and something different and, you know, we did, we brought out this table, we brought out chefs, we put Pavarotti music on so it was like really emotive and and, and people kind of went, oh, my God, what is this? I've never seen this before. <laughs> and these two chefs came out and I said to the chef, so I actually kind of designed it because the guy, the chefs kind of um, – were going to um, just, they were going to kind of bring out the table all done. And I said, oh, no, we need a show. We need to make this into a show. And I said, could we do that rather than you doing it in the kitchen where nobody sees? Let's bring it to the to the, to the the stage. And they went, oh, my God, really? Are you kidding me? I said, no, let's make you stars. That's awesome. Oh, my gosh. And I said, and when you finish, I want your hands to go into the V shape in the air like, wow, look what I've done. <laughs> And, like, you know, really embrace it. And that's uh-huh. not something you really kind of do in Australia sort of thing. They kind of would do it and they go, da-da, here you go. But I said, no, I want the hands up at the end. So just I want it to finish at the at the exact time as the music finishes. So you kind of have to time it. So you have to scramble to make this amazing. And they did. And everyone walked away talking about that. Of you know, course. Yeah. The speaker. They're going to talk about a speaker that they heard and they go, oh, that was great. But if you want to be a standout speaker, wear the yellow suit and get people will go, oh, this guy came out in this bright yellow suit and I, you know, he was so interesting because he's different. So if you want to do an event that really gets people talking, you have to deliver something that's different that people haven't seen. In Australia, and I'm sure it happened in America, we had this um, act called the three waiters and they were like singing you know opera and Pavarotti and all that sort of stuff and it started here and then it kind of I think went into America and, and there's a whole like amazing story so these waiters these singers would actually pretend that they were waiters and they would be serving you and then all of a sudden in the middle of the dinner one would break out in song and then the next one would start singing as well. And then the third one would sing. And then they would, you know, develop this most amazing crescendo. And people would be going, oh, my God. And it was also interactive. So they would go up to people and say, hello, what is your name? And da, 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 da. And they would sort of be interactive with the with the mm-hmm. audience as well. So I think, you know, when you're organising events and the way I like to organise events is you have to create elements of surprise that people will talk about. You can't, people will not talk about the bride and how beautiful she looked for two minutes because they'll walk to walk down the aisle, they go, oh, she looked so beautiful. 
And the women will do that, but the men won't even give it a moment's thought because they'll think, oh, yeah, she's <laughs> really lovely, and that's it. You know, they just don't. Um, they want to see, you know, how beautiful they were and how the bridesmaids and how everyone looked really pretty and lovely and all the rest of it. But it's the entertainment, it's the food, and it's the experiences that we actually have at events that get us to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the case of weddings, it's often what went wrong, and which is I think so much fun. So for instance, ours, this was 24 years ago, almost Um, at our wedding, we, my grandmother was late because she had just recently broken her hip and it was, uh, she had to have a special taxi come and pick her up. We're at the rehab center and drive her all the way across from um, Bethesda in Maryland, all the way down to uh, Virginia and and, uh, an old part of Virginia. And I said, I'm not going to start without her. I'm the bride and you can't start without me and I'm not going to start until she gets here. And what ended up happening was our waiters asked my husband at the time, said, um, can we start serving the wine? Can we just pass around wine glasses while people are waiting and beer? And my husband, of course, said, yes, absolutely. So all of a sudden, everything changed. Um, they started bringing out these trays of wine and beer and people started visiting again and the, the, the string trio was playing and they were just playing something else. And then I started and people for, for years after were like, I love that you had us um, drinking wine as we were waiting for the wedding to start. And they didn't even know that wasn't part of the plan. <laughs> so those, those, you know, what? amazing, right? Yes, absolutely. It's always great to find, um, great concepts that people actually haven't actually seen before and Mm -hmm. you know finding the element of surprise is just really kind of what it's all about and you know at my wedding which was you know 27 years ago um uh I because my family were in you know catering and events my mother really kind of knew how to kind of make a great event and we had a maypole that came in we had lots of dancing we had these great big huge um, three-metre balloons that came in with lots of um, little balloons inside. So everyone was playing with those on the dance floor and we had came out with all these kind of maracas and all sorts of things that people can kind of dance with and it had not seen before. So people were, you know, hitting the big balloon and eventually it popped and then all these, you know, confetti came out and little balloons and it's about finding, you know, what, but people talked about that event for so long afterwards, you know. It was, um, and it doesn't have to be of, expensive. You know, it doesn't have to be, abs- it doesn't have to right. be expensive, you know. Um, you know, it could be the way the dessert, it could be the way the, in, you know, the entertainment, it could be, you could find different things. It could be like a snack before everyone kind of goes home. It could be like a, a milk and cookie snack or something like mm-hmm. that, or a little coffee shot and a, and a, and a cookie that everyone goes, oh, look, you know, before they go home, that's, you know, we're passing around right. little cookies and, and coffee shots or something. You know, so it's, yeah. or it could be, you know, coming out of, the, out of the ceremony and instead of coming out of the ceremony, it could be like serving nice little cappuccinos to everybody, you know, kind of thing. Would you like a cappuccino? And it's like, oh, it's about thinking about the experience that they actually want in an event, whether it be a corporate event or a private event. Think about that experience. And if you think about the experience and how can we make that experience amazing, people won't remember the flowers. People will not, rem- will, you know, they'll, they'll think about them for two minutes, but it's the experience that they have, you know, uh, that they'll walk away with and that's what they're going to remember. Mm-hmm. For sure. It's how you make them feel. So let's talk about... And I, I actually... Oh, sorry, I, I was on. just going to ask you to talk about your current business because obviously we we went at least a year before any kind of actual event could happen. So let's, let's actually talk about that part because I I think a lot of our listeners will be curious about how you change things up. I mean, the the pivots that you had to make as a result of that. Yeah. So I started um, extraordinary events, which is my events management company um, 20 something years ago. And um, during, but one of the problems that I always found was, I'm probably I'm probably like kind of a good mix between creative and strategic as I was talking about earlier. But one of the problems that you know 
always for event managers is finding new event ideas and you know, and suppliers to work with. I was asked to organise um, an event in Hong Kong and I had to get quotes from suppliers in Hong Kong so I could pitch for this, you know, client's work. And the whole of China was on a holiday for a week and I thought, this is just crazy in this day and age. Why can't we um, find um, suppliers anywhere in the world if we have to organise an event? Um, as well as really great ideas. I would search the internet for great ideas all over the world. And um, this is kind of what led me to Event Buzz 360 because there's no platform at the moment in the world that showcases great ideas and, you know, and great suppliers to work with. So I built it. So I built a company called Event Buzz 360. Uh, and if anyone wants to have a look at it, it's called eventbuzz360.com. And we're in the early stages at the moment, but we have got a huge vision. We want to, you know, help um, suppliers find more leads, more customers. We want to help customers um, find great ideas and suppliers to work with. And we kind of want to kind of build it into this massive um, global platform to help uh, the events industry and, and people looking to, you know, organising their own event. Um, We are bringing on jobs onto the platform as well because of COVID, lots of people have lost their jobs. And we know that when people are gearing up for events, they need additional resources. Mm. And so we think that the events and hospitality industry need a great platform to support them. And so we're building a jobs platform, which will be coming on hopefully later on this year. Excuse me. Um, And you know, we kind of, and we've got some really great other initiatives in the pipeline as well. Well, when we talked um, last week, when we first met and you were talking about this event, Buzz 360, I got all excited about it because I've, I've been planning events for most of my life and this no longer virtual event that I've been planning for four years, and this will be the fifth year coming up in 2022 because 2021 was canceled. Um, I was thinking how nice it would be to have a resource like that platform. So if I decide I'm interested in having this, it's a relatively small event, I want to do it in Denver. Where are the meeting locations? Because I would much rather start with that because I know what I have in mind for the experience for my guests, as we talked about before. And then the hotel can come later, but yeah. it would be so awesome to have a resource like that. That that was really exciting to me. So what happened over COVID? I mean, were you starting to build it and then you had to stop or what? what's going on with that? So before COVID actually hit, I was already in development stage of the platform. Um, but because of COVID, I was able to focus a lot more on it and kind of push it a lot further and kind of, you know, get a few suppliers onto the platform and kind of work it out. We're still in beta stage and we're just sort of, you know, kind of working through it. So, you know, it, it's still very early stages for us, but we have got a very big vision and, um, you know, we've got a good database of suppliers that hopefully will come onto the platform around 20,000 suppliers. Um, at the moment, we don't have venues on there because um, we've just kind of got to get, we want to help the suppliers first and then we'll go with venues a bit later on. Um And I kind of feel like sometimes, you know, I think people rush into venues too quickly and I think it's sometimes it's better to find some of the suppliers that you kind of want to work with before you choose the venue. Sometimes if you work with, you know, an AV company or a catering company, you can kind of sometimes get better ideas of what you could use for a venue and it's kind of good to sort of kind of build a great team around you for your event. And so we're actually going to, be building, you know, things like that for Event Buzz 360 where, you know, teams can kind of collaborate um, and, you know, get ideas. Because I think when you're building events, it the more ideas that people bring to the table, the better your event's going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody says, you know, oh, you know, Sarah, I think it'd be really cool if you did this at your event and you go, oh, I had never thought of that. I've not seen that before. And you go, oh, yeah, we've done, we've done this for another client or we've seen something similar somewhere else. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there's a, a, you know, this most amazing interactive kind of lead ball, where you, uh, sorry, lead screen where you can come up and write on the screen and you can, 
you know, have this most amazing interactive experience. So maybe it'd be really cool to kind of bring something like that on and, you know, you could allow people to play with that during the breaks instead of just standing there eating their food. They could kind of come up and you could kind of get a sponsor that would like to kind of, you know, brand it for them for their um, events, you know. So, you know, there's ways to sort of kind of play with the ideas and what you can do and then, you know, people would talk about that afterwards. They'd be going, oh, we went to this event. It was so great. It was a workshop. But in the breaks, they had this amazing interactive. And then people also video other people doing that at your event. And then that becomes a sociable um, thing that people share, which means that people are sharing content from your event. You have to look at um, also events now with what can people share? So, you know, you'll see that sometimes people have photo booths at, at weddings and events because they want to make moments where people can actually share content through their social media Mm -hmm. um so always you've got to think about all of the the things that are involved all the elements of the component and what you want to achieve with your event you know are there you know moments where people can share on social media is there something that people can do is there moments that people will talk about afterwards what are those moments how can we create them Mm -hmm. so when we build a story you, you know, you can think of an event like um, even a dinner party at home. So say you're ha- having a party at home, all your friends are invited. Now, if you um, say to the, do- the your guests, just come, come over, I'm having a birthday party and just kind of come. And if your guests just arrive at the front door and the front door is wide open and they kind of come in and they're feeling quite lost because they're, they're not feeling that comfortable. They're an acquaintance of yours, but they're not a you know a good friend of yours. So they're just coming in and they're walking in alone. They're feeling quite uncomfortable. Um, there's nobody there to kind of greet them. There's nobody there to sort of that they know and they don't really know kind of there's no one offering them a drink and then they go, oh, there's a bar over there. I'll, I'll kind of go over to the bar and get myself a drink and I'm standing there with a drink and I'm not really knowing anyone and I can't find my host and, you know, I can't find Sarah. She's busy talking to everyone. She's like a big social butterfly because it's her birthday. And I'm feeling quite uncomfortable and awkward. But, and, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't even know what to do. And then, oh, you know, there's the drink that I want. There's It's all half run out. So what am I supposed to do? Go to the fridge and get some more drink or go to the box underneath and get more <laughs> drink out? I'm not, not sure what I'm supposed to do. And there's this kind of uncomfortableness because they kind of feel awkward and feel uncomfortable. But what if they were to come to your birthday party and you welcome them at the front door and said, hi, Nicole, so glad you came. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you so much for coming. Let me, you know, um, take your jacket off you. Let me welcome you in. Let me get you a drink. And do you know, you know, Fritz over here who's a good friend of mine and um, I'd like to introduce you to Nicole and you've made me feel instantly welcome. You've taken my jacket, you've given me a drink, you've introduced me to somebody. It becomes a whole different experience. So when you build events, mm-hmm. you have to think about the attendees or your, your guests at the time and what kind of uh, impression are we giving them? What kind of event are we giving them? Even if it's a birthday in your own home, it's you have to guide them. You have to take guests on a journey, and it means looking after them. You have to think of your guests like herds of sheep or, or, or cows that need direction. If you don't give them direction of where they're <laughs> supposed to be, then they, they feel awkward. They feel uncomfortable, and they don't want to mm-hmm. stay because they're not feeling comfortable. You know, people want to feel comfortable at events, and it's our job as the organiser to make them feel comfortable. So absolutely do that, then I think we're doing a great job. And I I kind of want to help people kind of come up with that, you know. Do you remember a time when you went to an event that all you could think about was all the things that they could have done better? (laughs) Because I I do that still. (laughs) All the time, all the time. And I think that's, you know, that's every event, you know. I think there's even your own events, you'll always critique it because you're thinking that way. It's like, you know, being a kind of a perfectionist. I've got a background in catering and events, as catering and, and cake decorating. Um, I kind of went down that path for a bit as well. And, you know, I can look at a cake and go, oh, that is phenomenal. 
or I can look at a cake and go, eh, it's okay, it's just a bit ordinary, you know. <laughs> uh, they could have done better here. Uh-huh. Um, let me tell you, my cakes were okay. They weren't perfect, but, um, you know, I, I I don't know. I think I'm better at events than doing cakes. But, um, <laughs> but you know, look, everyone, look, it's, it's hard to kind of, um, you, you do, you do, you do. You definitely do critique mm-hmm. other people's events. But you have to remember most of the attendees don't see what you see. And, you know, right. as a trained event organiser and trained professional, you see them and you go, oh, they could have done this better, they could have done that better. Um, there was a bottleneck here and they shouldn't have done that and they didn't allow for that and they didn't think about that and mm-hmm. or, you know, they got on the bus and there was, you know, um, you know, some rubbish under the bus, you know, seats or something like that. Nobody checked right. it and, you know, all the toilets were not perfect and they needed to check that. It's about, mm-hmm. you know, the whole experience and you kind of have to kind of check all these things off. I mean, I went to a wedding and they forgot to have the, you know, where you're seated. So all of a sudden it was like, you know, a bit of a mishap there that the catering company was supposed to do it or the event company was supposed to do it and they forgot the um, the seating plan. And so when guests oh. were coming up, they kind of had to kind of work out where they were seated and it was kind of a bit of a debacle. But, um, oh. you know, no kidding. Uh, yeah, they were doing their best to kind of, you know, help and I think I covered in to try and help yeah. them. And, you know, it, it happens, you know, it just happens, you know. Yeah. You're packing so much into mm-hmm. your car and, you know, or your, your, your trucks and things like that and it was a destination event so it was all even further, like they couldn't, Goodness. you know, it could easily be missed. Right. They couldn't um, just run home, right? <laughs> they can't kind of run home and pull it up and things like that. But if you're really organised, you can troubleshoot that kind of thing, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I've had, you know, um, situations where, you know, I've had I've had to get under the table and kind of, you know, behind the, scr- the stage and, you know, fix the AV because my AV crew were stuck on the harbour bridge on the other side of the harbour bridge. We had a huge accident <laughs> on the harbour bridge. Never happens like this. It was such a bad accident that um, this truck they had to get a helicopter to take the truck off the harbour bridge, which never happens. Wow. Um, it kind of happened <laughs> my event, so um, I kind of had to kind of you know run this event, and I had a very nervous client who hadn't worked with me before and you know, was kind of on, um, you know, running like, is this okay? Is What's happening with this, Nicole? What's happening stressed, with this? You know, you have right. <laughs> Trying to micromanage just because they're stressed. Totally. Yeah, and I sort of, you know, had to sort of, you know, reassure them that I'm doing everything, my team is doing everything to make this happen and just give me some time to kind of, you know, get this all of my ducks all lined up because, you know, things kind of do do go wrong in, in events and it's sort of you need that. If, you, if you're really super organised, you can actually troubleshoot it. Now, the audience had no idea that this event uh, had any problems because I actually kind of got in and, you know, through my phone I was speaking with the AV crew and what do I need to do. I don't know if you've ever seen an AV desk. <laughs> there like buttons everywhere. And it's kind of like, you you know, you're in the cockpit of a plane. It's kind of really overwhelming. And, um, you know, you kind of just kind of want to kind of make this event great for them. So, you know, that's kind of what we've, what we've done. And, you know, I'm hoping that I can kind of help the industry kind of, you know, do more events. And, you know, right. I think events are fun and I think events are growing. Around the world we organise 30,000 business and private events a day. So there's a lot of events going on out there and um, a lot of very capable people, the most amazing event suppliers um, around the world I've come across and I'm very excited to kind of share some of their, you know, what they're doing um, on our Mm -hmm. social media, on our platform. So, you know, I think the best thing I can say is your event is only as good as the ideas that you have and the impressions that you make on your audience. And if you can make a really good impression on your audience um, by, you know, finding great suppliers, finding innovative ideas, 
then I think you can take your events to a whole new level and you'll get people talking about it. Um, Definitely. You know, Uh, using technology and lots of different things, components. Right. I think one of the things that I notice is that there's a really simple way, especially with smaller events, but any event, it's a really simple way to ensure that people are going to remember it well, that they'll have a positive memory of it. And that's to make them feel hosted. And that doesn't have to be complicated and you don't have to be super hyper creative about it. And um, I remember going to a wedding just a couple of years ago where they had um, little gift bags in at the hotel front desk for people who were checking in. And I always did that when we would have family events, weddings and bar mitzvahs, always have a little gift. And in this case, it was, um, they had a couple bottles of water. They had some uh, lip stuff because we were in a very dry environment. They had uh, a couple of those individual packages of, of um, either ibuprofen or Tylenol or something like that with the anticipation that we were going to have a few drinks that night. And it was just these little things and it, it wasn't expensive, but the, the detail that was involved that um, it, like it had our name on it on a sticker and there was something in it specifically for us because they knew us. And granted, they were only doing 25 of these bags, but still just those little details. Again, it didn't have to be expensive, but I remember it clearly it's memorable to me because I'm still talking about it a couple of years later because of that little personal touch that they were hosting us, that they were glad we were there and that we were an important part of their celebration. And you can do that on a huge level in in an event of 2000 people and 4,000 people you just have to actually pay attention to that one small detail that's going to make them feel like they're being hosted and cared for. Yeah, look, I also, um, you know, in, when I've done a, weddings and things like that, it's also about putting really nice things in the bathrooms as well and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of even deodorant and stuff like that that people can, right. you know, if they've been dancing a lot or they're feeling a bit like, you know, especially the men, uh, they kind of get quite hot, you know, because they're usually wearing a shirt or a jacket. Suit, and right. Suit, yeah, so it kind of gets quite mm-hmm. hot where women kind of wear like, you know, a sort of like a like a strap a sleeveless, like right. That, you know? mm-hmm. So, you know, I always kind of put like, you know, kind of perfumes and deodorants and flowers in the women's toilets and sort of even sort of, you know, kind of, you know, some hand cream to make them feel kind of special and so that they kind of come in there and feel like oh this is really cool and you know you can kind of also leave like kind of little stickers on the on the mirrors that sort of say hey you're looking fabulous or don't forget to hashtag um you know on your social media take a picture here and kind of you know you can kind of leave messages on on the in the in the bathroom for people Mm -hmm. like you know with some stickers and you know floor stickers you can use floor stickers in a really innovative way as well and you know kind of walk this way and this is a way you know, through so people know where to go or you're almost there or if you're walking up, you know, a lot of flights of stairs and (laughs) you're almost almost at excitement, Mm -hmm. you know, you're almost there. And, you know, there's ways to create anticipation and excitement, you know. Um, Then they don't have to be costly. But, you know, it makes people feel like, oh, you've gone to the extra trouble. It makes people feel that, you know, you care. So, you know. Exactly. I always kind of do things like that in, and that's always really kind of really appreciated. And I think it keeps the standard of your event at the five star rate, you know, level rather exactly. than a three or a four, you know. Exactly. It doesn't matter what your budget is. It's it's how you make people feel. It doesn't matter what the food is. It's how you make people feel. It doesn't matter what, what's going on. It's as long as, you know, how you make people feel is the most important thing. Absolutely. So to um, bring this full circle and kind of wrap it up, I love the story of the chefs building a Great Barrier Reef in front of an audience. That is just, I'm still visualizing that because I'm I've actually been. Picture. <laughs> yes, I would love that because I've actually been to the Great Barrier Reef. So even more so, but, um, and I would love to include that in the blog post associated with this podcast. But um, I'd love to hear one more story about that kind of thing that stands up about an event that you either you went to or that you created and planned? I did this charity event for 
um, abused women and children. And um, I've been doing that for, for many, many years. And um, we had to create this amazing um, event that really sort of tapped into people so that people would kind of, you know, open their wallets and donate to this charity. And we called it the Unmasked Children. So because these delinquent children just kind of didn't really have a voice for themselves, they couldn't speak up for themselves, they were, you know, in trouble with the law and, um, you know, they just had to kind of, and, and they had trouble with their family, they were either abused or, you know, um, and this charity helps these organisations. And, you know, we decided to actually create this most amazing um, monologue that kind of took people behind the scenes so that people could actually understand what kind of goes on. And so if you you know the sort of the mask from Phantom of the Opera, we had these masks sort of, but they were more sort of, you know, three, full, full masks rather with the white, you know, eye, the eyes come through them. So we had these masks on the tables and we called it the unmasked, unmasked the children. And, you know, we... We had we had we were coming up to the pitch night for you know to get everyone to sort of donate money, and what we did was we had this guy standing, this kid standing in the sort of the doorway, kind of coming through, and there was kind of smoke, and he was wearing a mask, um, and he was actually a soldier as well, and he kind of was coming through, and everyone's going, oh my god, what's going on here? What's going on here? Who is this? person and you know he's, he wasn't a young child he was sort of in his 20s and he kind of came through and he made his way up to the stage and everyone's going oh my god and then he starts to speak and then he takes off the mask and he says I was one of these masked children and he tells tells a story about how he you know his family did this and how he sort of kind of grew and went and, and did that and this was done like you know 20 something years ago quite a long time ago before this was kind of happened and now we we go to charity events and we usually hear a story of somebody who's kind of gone through the kind of the pain and before we kind of donate but this was kind of a bit more theatrical and it's an event that kind of really stands out in my mind because it was very emotive and it was very real and it was very like you know dramatic you know this this kid had been through such a journey and their dollars would kind of help other kids like this and mm -hmm. it sort of really and we 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 raised the most money we had ever raised ever and it was like wow. quite phenomenal and I think a picture paints a thousand stories and if you think about you know Pixar um, they're always storytelling and they're always talking about how do we articulate a story and when we put on events we are storytelling and we need to think about that. You know, even if it's a corporate event or a birthday, we are storytelling. You know, often with birthdays we like to share, you know, what, you know, where they've grown from and how they've grown up and all the fun things that they've done in their life and they went for this holiday and that and we show all these wonderful pictures because people want to share stories. People don't just want to share, you know, what they did. They want to know how it made them feel. Mm -hmm. So mm. sounds like an amazing event and yeah, kind of ahead of its time but because mm. it wasn't as common back then to have somebody who had experienced that level of neglect or abuse to share their story, certainly not in person. And, and no. it was often far more anonymous and that's not nearly as powerful as having that person who had experienced it right in front of them. So I'm not surprised that you raised a lot of money at that event. And that, that's fantastic. I love that story. And I, I think, again, just to um, jump right in there, when you can tell a story, it's not the, the event itself that it's telling a story, but it's what stories are you creating for the guests? What stories are they going to be telling about your event? And every aspect of that is foundational every aspect of your event is foundational for the next story. So Absolutely. Um, that's why I love events because it's just <laughs> so interesting. It's just, you know, you get, you get this clean 
you know, piece of paper and you go, okay, now what do I want to make? What do I want to create? <laughs> exactly. And, you know, sometimes you're, you're spending more money on the food and sometimes you're spending more money on the entertainment. But you you kind of, or it might be, you know, technology or something like that. But it's always you start with a nice clean piece of paper and you always go, now what can I make this into? And, yes. you know, there are some event managers out there that love to create things that people haven't seen before. And then there's a lot that kind of go, you know what, I'll I'll copy what this is because people haven't seen it. Um, there's a lot of people that like to copy what other people have done and there's nothing wrong with that either. It's about, you know, working out what it is that you want to create for your event, you know. Absolutely. And I like to try and bring that amazing ideas. So that's why mm-hmm. Event Buzz 360 has kind of been formed so that we can find those amazing ideas and suppliers and share it with other event organisers so that they've got the ideas to take back to their clients and go, hey, let's do something different than we've done before. Let's think outside the box. Let's, I've seen this and this and this. And then kind of go, oh, that sounds really interesting. Yes, haven't seen that before. Mm-hmm. And I think now because there, there has been a year or more, a year plus, where people really haven't been able to do events in the same way, I think people are going to be especially hungry for the creativity that we can find in events. I don't think we'll ever go back to a boring event because people don't have to go anymore. So I I think your events platform is right on time. I I, I don't think it was the wrong time when you started this project. (laughs) Really, I think this is exactly the right time to be exploring the potential for events all over again. And thank you so much for joining me today and talking about this. I appreciate it. My pleasure. It's been absolutely fun. I've pro- I probably talked too much, but <laughs> I've really enjoyed it. Well, clearly you're passionate about what you do and um, nobody can fault you in that way. So just uh, so our listeners know, you can connect with Nicole Santer on, are you on LinkedIn? Yeah, definitely. Yes. Great. Okay. She's on LinkedIn. And um, tell me the name of the website again. Eventbuzz360.com. Eventbuzz360.com. And if you're listening on the road and you can't stop to write things down, just know that if you go to elkinsconsulting.com and click on the podcast page, I will have a blog post associated with this episode with these links included in it and hopefully a picture. Awesome. A picture of the Great Barrier Reef made from food by two chefs. (laughs) Definitely. I'll definitely put that up for you. And look, the the chefs sort of thought, like, you know, when I was telling them, they're going, oh, okay. And now they've done done it so many times. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've created this new act for them and they've kind of gone, oh, okay. So this is really interesting. We can play with this. Well, we do table-side service in fancy restaurants. You do a table-side Caesar salad or a table-side tartare or a table-side flambe. So uh, this is just the next level of doing table-side, right? Because it's it's, all performance. It is all performance. And it is like, you know, you kind of want to put on this kind of amazing show that people kind of go, wow, that was something different. That's something that I've not seen kind of before. And, you know, that's where it kind of goes, you know, takes things to a whole new level. I mean, it works for me for two reasons, obviously, because I can get the I didn't have to get a whole lot of, you know, four more um, microphones <laughs> and the speakers had time to kind of change over the mics and things. And mm-hmm. it also gave the attendees something to think like, oh, de, you know, de, um, kind of de-stress on the, on, the, on the content coming through, you know. You kind of just need to let your mind settle in your, your and, and, and kind of, go back to creativity because creativity spawns interest and um, innovation. Um, Absolutely. Kind of have those kind of breaks. And I think the way forward for business events is going to be very much more interactive anyway. I think Mm -hmm. that we're going to, we're a bit over hearing a speaker just speak at us for, you know, 40 minutes. We kind of want to have a voice as well. We want to be able to ask questions. We want to be able to interact. Contribute. Right. Right. Absolutely. Definitely. I'm with you. That's what I've been doing with the No Longer Virtual Conference. So I totally agree. And we need to leverage the experience in the room. There are lots of people with things to add. So yes. Oh, definitely. Definitely. 
Nicole, so, thank you. Again. Thank you. Yes, this has been great. And um, I will, uh, I'm, I'm excited to share this with our listeners. Thank you. Are you ready to start your story portfolio so you have the right story ready to share when the opportunity presents itself? When you're ready to get started, my book, Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will, is available in all the regular places, and the audiobook version is available on Google Play and on my website, elkinsconsulting.com. As a special bonus for listeners, the audiobook includes two songs recorded by my band, Spare Change, in my living room in Montana. Also on my website is a free podcast interview checklist. It's available to download to make sure you make the most out of your next podcast interview. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to rate the podcast and leave a review and let me know that you've done it so I can thank you properly. Thank you.